This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs. Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead, and continuing my series with uh, professors in the in- that are teaching in the Intellectual Property Summer Institute, law.unh.edu slash IPSI if you want to learn more about it. Uh, today I'm joined by Professor John Guerin, who's the Director of the Intellectual Property, Cybersecurity, and Technology Law Program and Professor of Law at NSU Florida Shepherd Broad College of Law. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Did I get all those names correct? You did. You did an amazing good job. You love academia. This keeps, what's another name in there? Why not? Just go with it. <laughs> One merger after another. So exactly. Nova Southeastern University and then Shepherd Broad College of Law. Awesome. All right. So you're actually teaching a course titled Regulatory and Concre- Contractual Aspects of Web3 in the Metaverse. And uh, I just uh, spoke with uh, adjunct professor Gordon Smith this morning uh, about IP valuation. And I'd imagine that plays into part of this. But there's so many aspects when it comes to IP uh, with around uh, MTs, blockchain, games, and Every, every which way. I mean, on the surface level, from an IP perspective, what are the most important things when it comes to the future of Web3 in the metaverse? There's a number of issues that we're going to be exploring, and the metaverse itself is a very open concept at this point. Mm-hmm. So depending on how the metaverse evolves, different areas of patent law are going to implicate how it evolves. Uh, copyright is critically important to the ownership issues and how the contractual relations exist between the end users and the platforms within the metaverse. And the metaverse itself is likely to be more a multiverse um, of competing and interoperable metaverses. So how copyright and trademark assets move from one environment into another environment is another area where we're gonna see a lot of tension, a lot of opportunity. And then finally, we have the overlay of artificial intelligence and how AI, not what we think of as non-player characters, Mm -hmm. and how creation from an AI perspective and the role of AI is going to influence all of those issues. In addition to traditional IP, copyright, trademark, privacy, there's a number of issues around publicity rights, Mm -hmm. name, image, and likenessing, uh, likeness issues and commercialization from within the content. And then finally, a huge piece of this is a combination of privacy regulation and financial regulation because there's, with both privacy and anonymity, there's a host of issues as to how money moves uh, and uh, anti-money laundering laws and a host of regulatory issues on the privacy side, the misuse by corporations, the misuse by government, and the misuse of funds in uh, the dark web and uh, misuse of finances and illegal content. So one of the most important things when you look at the current realm of social media is influencers. So name, image, and likeness has a tremendous importance to it. What are some unique aspects with Metaverse going into virtual reality and such and these more interactive uh, cloud-based services when it comes to name, image, and likeness? I'm assuming things are going to be issues around likeness and duplication of uh, people's IP that they may not uh, want shared is uh, are some of the key factors. Well, if you think about the metaverse environment, you're moving from a 
either text-based environment or photograph-based visual environment into an animated environment. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you animate someone, you have now created a copyrightable work on their image. Who is the owner of that copyright? If you have a simple algorithm that takes a picture and renders a 3D animated avatar, is it the photographer who took the original picture that created that work? Is it the company whose uh, software has created the avatar? Is it no one because AI is the author for purposes of copyright, which means that there is no legal author? So we don't even know that answer for the avatar itself. Then you move to the clothing. Clothing, of course, is not protectable by copyright, but the drawing of clothing is protectable by copyright. So are we going to have clothing brands try and exert intellectual property rights over certain attributes of avatars in the internet? Because I'd imagine like Nike and such are going to be immediately raising red flags. Like they've got the Nike swoosh. You're not allowed to be using that in in this platform without us being involved. You're exactly right. And so that moves us into trademark. And so now we have the same issues from a trademark standpoint. The first distinction we make in the trademark realm is between commercial and non-commercial use. I'm allowed to have a Nike swoosh on my shirt unless I'm in an advertisement, in which case I don't want somebody else's brand being cross-promoted in the brand of soda or you know soft drink that I'm uh, marketing. So if I am engaged in the metaverse and I'm in class, I can probably wear whatever I want. On the other hand, if I am working as an influencer and so I am using my avatar to promote a hotel that I just stayed at, getting paid for branded promotion of products that I use, now that commercial activity wraps in my avatar, it wraps in my clothing, it wraps in the brands on what I'm wearing, and so now we have a commercial use. So things that are fairly simple in the real space become more complicated in uh, virtual worlds. Do we have the regulatory framework currently at all to dive into this, or is it just too early to really know what it's going to entail five to ten years from now in this? It is, we, are, we don't have a good regulatory framework for social media. Uh, we don't have a good regulatory framework for online content. We have virtually no regulatory framework for online content. And we don't know how the unique aspect of this environment is going to create either the same kind of social harms we've seen with bullying, harassment, uh, deep fakes, or whether it's going to be a different kind of environment that needs different, that has different problems. But what we do know is the absence of protections against bullying lead to tremendous negative consequences. Uh, that deep fakes are very harmful, particularly of women who are victimized. Um, and so we need to improve the tools in the existing realm. And as more commerce moves into virtual worlds, as more businesses use this as a methodology of having their workforce engage, there's gonna be a strong push from industry to demand a better environment. Right now, social media is not really integrated into workforce activities. You're told as an employee, avoid it unless you're officially a spokesperson for our company. And so we haven't married those two aspects. 
in education, we keep social media away from our classes as much as possible in most instances, and so we avoid the harmful consequences. One of the opportunities of virtual worlds is to transform the quality of the workplace environment with mandatory virtual world participation becomes the obligation from an EEOC standpoint and from a business best practice standpoint to get it right. And so I think we're going to see a very different regulatory approach once big industry is part of this enterprise. And kind of tying in what you said with regards to deep fakes and such, along the uh, influencer route I was being, talking about earlier, I mean, that's huge. I mean, you're you're talking about uh, so many programmers out there that are recreating the voices of different people because, like, Johnny Depp, for example, I think is one of the people that was kind of recreated via AI is they, there's, they can, computers can now just pretend to be some, somebody else and the, uh, the actual property of aspects, Im- implications of that and uh, the digital privacy perspectives on that are very important. We're already seeing in the war in Ukraine the use of deep fakes and synthetic media, which I think is a better term for mm-hmm. the broader area, to be used as an intentional propaganda tool mm-hmm. to manipulate the public's perception of reality. And with that ability to use synthetic media and an increased virtualization of the input that we as the public have, we're going to lose the literacy tools to identify real from fake. Mm-hmm. If synthetic media isn't regulated, then the ability for false press artificial uh, artificial public statements from leaders that trigger real responses. Those kind of activities could be highly disruptive. And we all know that false news shouted is rarely tamped down by the truth trickled out weeks, months, or years later. And on the more legitimate side of it, you're now seeing many services, like I think it's... Uh Neo AI, I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure the name of it, but computer-generated images and such that are able to use artificial intelligence and just general computer learning, duplicating of images. Like, Photoshop is just, like, is going to look Stone Age by comparison. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Neo AI is, is a photo editing app that was recently released, and all sorts of uh, photo video influencers are promoting it on their social medias and such. But at what line is what's created by the computer belong to the software company versus the creator versus does anyone? Yeah, we've had that conversation going back to you know, Photoshop and to, you know, quite frankly, if you go back to black and white photography, yeah. there were challenges that you know, photographs can be dodged and shadowed. And so reality is what we perceive, but the fact that it's a photograph doesn't actually make it real because we don't know what's cropped out of the image. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, it creates a healthy distrust of what we're seeing um, in visual images and to understand that there is always a someone or something now behind the visual images, that it's not our own eyes perceiving the world and that there's always illusion going on. That's the good news. The, the difficulty is, as manipulation becomes easier and more seamless, truth and legitimacy becomes harder to find. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the, the content 
di digital literacy aspect. There's also a creativity aspect that's wonderful, right? right? So now the 10-year-old at home, rather than doing claymation, is doing digital animation using tools that can tell marvelous stories. And the creativity that has the potential to unleash is unbounded. And so there's a very positive aspect to these tools as well to promote creativity, to extend, right? All of these tools historically were mediated by wealth, by geography. And so there were populations that were limited. These were exclusive to some communities and not to other communities. And there is a democratization and socialization of these tools that really opens it up to everyone truly worldwide. And so there's a really healthy piece of this as well. And so the challenge of the metaverse over the next 20 years is going to be to tamp down the harms and promote the benefits and really encourage the access so that every community, every person is has the same ability to use these tools to the best possible world, while at the same time minimizing the social harms. Let's get into um, blockchain technologies and the the many ways you must be having to discuss this in in your courses because it, it's very it's very wild wild west right now. There's all sorts of NFT things. There's a lot of scams when it comes to a lot of NFT things of the, especially if you're looking at the last six months or so. Uh, the the uh, all the cartoons that are being sold off as NFTs and it's basically a. Uh, just a scary stock market on on <laughs> some of these platforms, but there's some very productive long-term solutions that uh, these technologies can can be uh, assisting the world with. I mean, what's some ways that you're investigating these technologies? Well, as uh, probably I'm saying something that every one of the people who listens to your podcast already knows, but like every technology, we need to separate the technology from the use case of the month. Right. Right. So there are a number of blockchain use cases that are very le useful, legitimate, and the technology should not be disassociated um, or avoided simply because there are activities that may push the, the use of, of the technology. So having a distributed ledger, having the ability to track data in a public key, private key model has a number of use cases that I think could be very beneficial. Um, whether or not art is one of those areas um, remains to be seen. But within the art market, NFTs reflect the absurdity that art valuation has always had. It, it amplifies it. Right. It <laughs> amplifies it. It, it, right. it has been great that artists who didn't have success found some financial success. That's been lovely for individuals. Um, but whether a Monet is worth $50 million or $5 million is about who else is in the art market. What does the financial market look like this week? And so many things that have nothing to do with the art itself. And the same thing is true of NFTs uh, when you think of them as an art form. Um, you know, what makes a good crypto kitty versus a poor crypto kitty, I cannot possibly tell you. Um, personally, I certainly wouldn't be trading in crypto kitties um, because I don't see that is a sustainable item I want for a long time. 
Having said that, I also don't buy baseball cards, I don't buy comic books, and I don't buy Monet's. I buy things that speak to me. I think the real advice to give to any investor is if you buy something because you love it and it speaks to you, then you're fine. None of these assets are investment grade. All of these markets are incredibly volatile. Um, and so you are essentially gambling anytime you buy a, an asset that does not have a standardization uh, value. Are there patent protections or anything like that for people that are developing the technology behind these these uh, different services that are out there, whether it's the NFT security, like making sure this is that the consumers are aware this like this is a, this is something you legitimately own, and blockchains and such, where it's code that uh, pushes stuff into the cloud. Like, what sorts of uh, if you're an an IP attorney that's wanting to get into this realm are some areas people should look at? You know, there are definitely some opportunities to think about process patents. Um, there is, of course, the ambivalence towards software patents uh, in the patent field, and so there's a lot of difficulty around the extent to which uh, patents even apply. Algorithms themselves right. uh, are, are not inventions, um, and so it's a limited world. Having said that, the use of blockchain in novel, innovative businesses, methods, um, there's certainly some room for patentability in those areas. Um, the simple notion, and there have been many, you know, this is an area where there have been thousands of patents filed, so we'll see how those patent registrations uh, develop and the extent to which uh, the courts have a taste for uh, issuing patents that are and validating uh, patents, uh, excuse me, that are around these kind of technologies, there are certainly use cases that will meet that patent eligibility uh, standpoint. Um, but it's already a very crowded field. Um, whether or not patent is the best strategy uh, remains to be seen. Um, it is such a volatile area. The most patents. Um, just won't have a lifespan that makes this worthwhile. But there's definitely uh, a market there. So about a minute left, is there anything I'm missing on this that you think is really important that people should keep an eye out for in this realm? I think it's really important uh, to understand that the use cases are already developing. Right? We already see a lot of industrial use for VR and particularly AR mm -hmm. devices. We already see thousands of people who have migrated to religious activities in virtual ex experiences. Education is moving uh, ever deeper into these online activities. So when we think about the regulatory standpoint, we really need to think about how each of these use cases um, is already flourishing and how best to protect it from unwanted uh, usage. And if we think about that, what are the harms we want to avoid rather than is there a grand regulatory scheme, I think we will do a better job of getting it right. And the key is to incrementally get it right rather than try and come up with one scheme that could potentially get it all wrong. 
Professor John Guerin, Director of Intellectual Property, Cybersecurity, and Technology Law, Professor of Law at NSU Florida Shepherd Broad College of Law. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're listening to The Legal Impact, presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help spread word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Get the back episodes of the show and podcast links at law.unh.edu slash podcast.